Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Catch Cape podcast. This week, we have the lovely Eastkey Britain on, a sea lover, scientist, surfer, and author, and recently published a new book again, All Around the Sea. Um, so, Eastkey, welcome on today. How's your day been going? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been going good. It started off on the beach. That's always good. Uh <laughs> I'm here in Donegal um, at Rasnala, where actually where I grew up and, and learned to surf. And now I've just recently moved back as well with my family. So, yeah, back to the roots. Wow. Um, and is there surf there today or did you have a swim or? Yeah, there's some surf. Uh, it's just been yeah pretty, pretty windy and onshore. Uh, it hasn't been waves for ages. So, yeah, I kind of just I was jumped in the other day yesterday, actually, with my dad. Um, which is always really special just here at Rasnala to get her heads wet. Um, you know, he's in his late sixties and um and then I I have my own little family, so trying to get time in the water together is probably it's it's getting rare, but it's yeah, super special. So that was fun. I mean the waves were really average, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and would you have like a party wave together? Uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that must be so lovely. That's such a really nice bonding place. Mm even out in the ocean like wow yeah yeah um and is he surfing a long time lovely connection yeah he's been surfing since he was 12 so fair few decades yeah well over was that over 50 well over 50 years anyway <laughs> yeah. amazing um and would you have any kind of um I'm all, I always love seeing animals out at sea have you had any moments where you've been out on your board and had animals come up or Oh, loads. I mean, I think that's yeah part of the draw, isn't it? That you're immersed in this whole other world, really, and uh, have a lot of those interactions and encounters like all the time. I just am really noticing because I haven't really traveled much in a long time. So I'm noticing the seasonal shift. So the, those kind of patterns of species that come and go. And you definitely get that with the ocean. And there's so many species that are migrating, especially in these waters, uh, especially the birds. And so there's this changeover that I love then around, you know, kind of the spring equinox moving into like Bolton in the summer. We've got the, I always kind of, you see all the wild geese and the barnacle geese gathering on the reef and having like their last feed of the seaweed and the low tides before they kind of head off. So they're kind of seem to be all but gone now. And then they're replaced by, I love it when the Arctic terns arrive. They're just so acrobatic and beautiful to watch. So they've kind of been dive bombing around me in the last few surfs and getting a fair amount of fish. So that's probably a good sign. Um, and some gannets coming back too, because I know they were really hammered with this awful bird flu. Uh, I kept seeing them washed up on the shoreline and through the winter. Uh, but that's good to see they're still there. So there's that. And then of course the seals are probably my favorite. Um, and then you do have the, uh, the very, you know, dolphins and whales you can't beat either. Uh, which you get, there's quite a few dolphins that pass through Donegal Bay as well. Mm. And you probably get it as well if you're like staring. I know I'm always doing that. I'm like staring at something, looking at it. I'm like, well, what are they doing? Um, like this morning, all these birds are mating like mm -hmm. at home. And I'm just like, I'm doing something and I'm just like, oh my God, like it looks insane. And like, say a wave is coming or something and you're like, oh, the wave's gone. You know, like you're totally <laughs> like engrossed in what's going on and you like miss your wave or something, you know. It's kind yeah, of yeah. Um, it's odd sometimes you can be too focused on the waves and, and the surf or they're like wanting to like 
get get more waves or or the next wave for yourself that you can kind of just actually miss out on this like whole other show that's going on around mm. you um that you're actually part of and it's funny in the lineup sometimes you like you notice people are completely unaware of this amazing spectacle going on <laughs> because they're just chasing waves uh but it's lovely to take a moment to just kind of pause and let that sink in that actually when you're surfing you're kind of part of this whole orchestra stuff going on around us that we probably know so little about really I know I know I've been immersed in it my whole life yeah it's mad like and there are moments out there that will mark you like that you just never forget um I was in the Galapagos a few years ago and we were like bodyboarding and wow. like I'm there must have been like 12 to 15 turtles in that one session like literally just coming up the whole time <laughs> I was like are we living like in a movie you know it was like something so unbelievable and it's like you carry it for your life you know those moments mm-hmm. so special um yeah and so your connection with the water runs deep right because your books are could you tell us a bit about your books and like what they kind of tune into yeah so my book I guess I just love to write books they're all about um our human connection with the ocean in some shape or form um yeah so (laughs) that's what I've been at and I think I love writing writing them too because I most of my training and background is actually in academia as a research scientist around environmental science or actually marine social science and so that's where I've had received most of my training and you know writing and peer-reviewed journal articles and academic kind of language and it's very um constraining in many ways <laughs> when it comes to also having a huge creative streak and finding ways I sp- I just love finding ways to give expression to some of those experiences we've just been talking about like that awe and wonder in the ocean and how do we better understand our relationship um and those interdependencies with the sea and with water and so I think with its combination I suppose of the the science and research I do that looks into that I have human connection with water and its impact on us especially in terms of our health and well-being and then finding ways just to communicate that or put it into stories that are really accessible um, for other people so maybe begin to think about our relationship their relationship with water or the sea in a different way or ways to actually restore some of those lost connections when we're talking about nature more broadly but also around water because it's I think it's interesting in particular in Ireland culture around water it's you know going through huge changes but it also it holds a lot of fear and risk and danger and all those things uh, are very real Mm. Um, and it's kind of cold and unforgiving and it's not as maybe accessible as other parts of the world Um, although the the cold water swimming craze is like just exploded um, post-covid which is fantastic to see that being one of the you know um after effects of something like a, a global pandemic but back to the yeah back to the books I have three books the very first one I wrote was called 50 things to do by the sea uh, so it's a lovely like a blue like a hardback illustrated I worked with a, an artist on that one um with Palgrave or the publishers but it, it is essentially 50 different ways to connect with the ocean both in terms of um for our own kind of well-being so a lot of kind of more mindfulness-based practices of understanding what the ocean of like the sounds of the ocean and looking at the ocean and all of that can the effect of that can have on our mood and our energy and well-being and so on but then also ways to kind of uh reciprocate so what we can do for the ocean too and I suppose it's aimed at a whole like you know spectrum of people 
um, adults, young people, families, kids. There's kind of something in there for everyone. So in a way, I kind of see it as a sort of ocean literacy book and a way to get to know the ocean and learn how to read it and watch it and um, sort of, yeah, to understand those kind of interconnections between us and the sea. And then from there, I wrote, um, I was actually writing it long before 50 Things to Do by the Sea came along. Saltwater in the Blood is probably, for me, it feels like my first kind of real um uh, yeah, first big book, as it were, um, it came out in 2021 with Watkins and a lovely independent publisher. But it's available kind of, I suppose, everywhere internationally as well. And an audio book that was fun to record. <laughs> with Saltwater and the Blood, the essence of that, it's definitely it's part memoir, part uh, kind of, I suppose, nature writing about our, I suppose, it's my ode to the ocean, but translating a lot of those lessons learned from just a lifetime immersed in the sea and surfing into, uh, I suppose, life lessons for how we want to live a more collected, connected life uh, on land uh, or in our everyday lives. And so looking at back at, I suppose, the journey I've been on and kind of unpacking some of those lessons and weaving it in with um, you know various journeys and adventures I've been on through surfing but weaving that into that kind of narrative of our ocean connection and um, and well-being um, yeah what, what we could learn from the ocean and then the my new book Heaven Flow which has just come out uh, this last month um, so hot off the press um, it's all about connecting with the patterns and power of water so looking at our changing human relationship with water in all its forms um, which was really fascinating to research being you know very familiar with water in some ways immersed in the ocean my whole life very biased towards looking towards the sea and then not really um, yeah not really thinking as much about well, where does all that water come from? And so it, it ended up being a, re- a really kind of cyclical uh, journey of getting quite immersed into the water cycle and what does that look like in terms of um, how it completely shapes and forms this planet and all life on it. Um, so Ebb and Flood, it's a way, again, to restore those kind of connections with water, uh, looking at a relationship with it, um, and also ways to, if you know, if we're to heal the waters of the world um the importance of, of restoring those kind of relationships so and it's both it's looking at, i suppose water's healing effect on us as well as our need to heal water so again that kind of uh looking at that reciprocity i suppose um and including then these kind of more water inspired strategies to help restore our own sense of um inner well-being as well as ways to connect with water more deeply um whether we're working in activism or conservation or um perhaps um not even aware of <laughs> of water and its impact in us in our lives yeah it's 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 amazing though because I probably be like you when people say water I think ocean like and then other mm-hmm. people live inland and they have like rivers and lakes and I'm like oh like but the ocean <laughs> you know it's like it's so powerful and 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 even it was very interesting for me when I was in um, Bolivia I met all these people who lived in the mountains and um, they had never seen an ocean like in their life and I thought wow like these people are so different like they've been formed from the mountains mm-hmm. from the salt deserts and I showed them pictures of the ocean and the cliffs and they were they didn't know what it was you know they were like what and it's just mad how we form 
you know, these ways of beings or our bodies even to be like adapted. And these people I'd never seen. And I was like, how do they survive? And I suppose that's the um, interesting thing about human nature is we adapt so much to our, you know, like they had different lungs to me, like, you know, because they live in 6,000 meters. And it's just so fascinating, <laughs> isn't it? It's incredible. Yeah, it was a big part of the book was trying to, I suppose, deepen my own understanding. So then reaching out and having conversations and connecting with a lot of mentors in my life. And and I kind of see them as water protectors in various forms to kind of across the spectrum of, of um, you know, indigenous water protectors and activists to artists, to athletes, to scientists about that relation, human relationship with water and all its forms and just trying and that was a really big takeaway, especially more from the indigenous perspective and understanding of water, like drawing more on that, I suppose, indigenous science rather than our conventional Western science. Uh, although we're kind of catching up with the Western science and beginning to recognize that, oh, actually, <laughs> a lot of the indigenous, indigenous perspectives and worldviews are right on point when it comes to looking at those ecological interconnections. And one of them is very much about that, how we are shaped and formed by that environment that we grow up in in, and as much as as we kind of impact it uh, it's kind of working through us all the time and that's what I love about water it's such a potent kind of connector and that it's continually cycling through everything and even in the human body if you look at it as a way of thinking about our place connections and maybe how we're maybe drawn to certain bodies of water but it's I think it's something like uh, the water in our bodies which we're you know 60 we're anywhere from 50 to 70 percent water and so we are all bodies of water as well which is kind of a pretty fascinating way to think about ourselves I can get into that a bit more too but the water in our bodies then is continually renewing itself up to like 17 times a year. So wherever we are, the water we're drinking it's, and where it's from and where it's been is moving through us. And then it just gets even more mind blowing when you think about that all the water here now has, is all the water there's, there has ever been. And it's been here for like 4 billion years. And we don't even really understand where it where it's come from <laughs> and you know so, and and so the water in in my body right now I probably could have moved through a tyrannosaurus rex back in the day um <laughs> uh, which I'm also, like what about rainwater then isn't that new water they no it's still I guess it's water in a new form yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's still uh old new water <laughs> Um, you know, at any one time, I think there, and I write about this in the book too, one of the things I, I came across in my research is to think about, and we think about maybe we're very land centric, I think, in our approaches to how we live our lives and how we look at even things like conservation and um, restoration work. And, and we tend to not be very, even with the climate crisis, it really is a story of water, but it doesn't really get centered very strongly. It tends to be focused more on <laughs> the atmospherics and the <laughs> chemicals and the but yeah the water so like in at any one time the water moving through all the plants on the earth is the same volume of water moving through all the rivers um of the earth which is which is amazing to think uh, and then the water is also like it's moving through us so there's water in so many forms and water that we can see and then the water that we can't see and even so much so like the just it starts to then really bring to life these kind of concepts like what do we mean when we talk about um those ecological interdependencies or or of how we're all connected or of oneness 
Um, and I think it's it's both a really great metaphor, but it's an actual kind of reality. That there's a recent study I can't quote it now. I need need to look up the reference, but someone was telling me that this mathematician went to research because water is continuously cycling around the planet and through us how long would it take for a drop of water in my body or your body to end up in the complete opposite part side of the world so say in Fiji or New Zealand in in some other bird or plant or or human or river Um, and it would take about six months I have no idea how he calculated this but that's like phenomenal to think about you know and we live on it shared planet with shared resources and we're all you know on quote-unquote spaceship earth um so it speaks to me both of the power of connection and then the vulnerabilities of something even that we maybe take for granted like water wow i'm like i'm totally in shock now (laughs) i was tripping out a lot writing this book so if I'm drinking out of a well and I don't want like you know mainstream water like then oh it's just like what (laughs) I'm like do I still get that water oh it's just amazing Mm. and if we live on such a watery planet you know it's like the surface is over 71% ocean um but then I began to research and actually what water is available to us as as humans to survive on and to drink and um it's I I don't know the percentages offhand but it's it's minuscule out of like all the fresh water in the world maybe only one percent is available to us um and then so of all the water in the world it's something like including the ocean 0.003 (laughs) percent It's actually incredibly precious um, because a lot of the water is locked up really deep underground or in the ice sheets or um, in the atmosphere and um, not available as drinking water or else it has become too polluted or we've lowered the water table or and so that we actually are beginning to lose water as well. Wow. I'm actually just there's a thought coming to my mind now. So you know when people go to water they're like oh mm. wow I feel so good by the ocean oh my god I'm so feel so feel so calm do you feel like um you know because we did come from the ocean uh, mm-hmm. bacteria and all that so that's probably our original form that ebb and flow and your book I suppose ebb and flow do you feel like that the ocean um has helped you to stay in that ebb and flow and to trust that ebb and flow of life um and or do you feel like it kind of if we're by the ocean actually makes us into beings that are more in ebb and flow like a lot more Mm. yeah I love it and because there's such different energy and qualities so different bodies of water as well um and it's hard because I'm very biased towards the ocean to really like um, take take my bias out of it and then answer honestly. But as you, yeah, as you just been saying, I think it's like that we have those like, you know, these biomarkers, you know, it's like kind of in our DNA or our evolutionary biology of that like ocean connection uh, from where all life kind of began. And then within us still, there are these kind of markers or adaptations to an ocean, ocean life. Like I think it's no accident that our bodies are you know they, if you look at the the planet is like say 70 percent ocean and our bodies are like 60 to 70 percent salt water um 
And the fact that, you know, our blood plasma is like a 98% match to salt water. And there are all these that are our mammalian dive response that we, you know, we still have um, and share with our kind of our sea kin, the whales and dolphins and seals and that ability to, you know, hold, prepare the body to hold its breath when immersing mm-hmm. itself in water. And it's, you know, babies are born with it and they instinctively can hold their breaths in for the first six months. Um and but anytime we come into contact again with water, like once we splash our faces with water, it begins to like start the trigger that response in the body again. I, stuff like that is just like that. <laughs> that's no accident. So in short, yeah, the answer would be yes, I think so. And then, of course, then when it comes to ebb and flow of the um, that's that's a really kind of powerful. Is it, is it a lesson or a teaching maybe from the ocean of that kind of it has this continuity to it, that pattern that it always comes in and out, like that tidal flow and rhythm, um, but that it's also always changing, you know, so there's lots in there too when it comes to like about thinking about how we live our life in these cycles and that there's Mm -hmm. this, and the importance of honoring both the ebb and the flow. So a lot of people ask you, what what, what is ebb? We're we're a lot more familiar in our society with flow states and so on. That's heavily researched, but I have yet to come across um very much on ebb states <laughs> yeah you don't <laughs> see me. that get in your ebb state so exciting. yeah yeah i'm in my ebb state not my flow state um which i think but it's just as important so it was a question i asked everyone i interviewed in the book as well like what does that mean to them and for i think what what comes up is that it's well quite simply if you look at it in a basic level of like flow is that the action phase and ebb is the rest phase mm-hmm. um which is why we don't hear much about it because it's not rest is not something our society really holds in in high value and we're really you know suffering the consequences of that in so many ways so yeah and then I think it's inbuilt into our bodies that we have this of course we have that ebb state like we're we are uh, you know even the day and night and why we need to sleep (laughs) is is the is represents the ebb it's but it's it's the rest, it's the death, the decay, it's the, you know, the composting phase, it's the all of that. And it's it's really important phase. And you look to natural cycles, it's always there. Um, and also ebb is that kind of container in order for flow to happen. Uh, you need to have that downtime or need to have the, the ebb kind of uh, makes the flow possible, um, which which I really liked as well rather than thinking you have to be go 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 always on because ultimately um yeah we know where that and ends you can up. actually yeah. like obviously society is very much built on achievement but like you can actually achieve a lot when you rest a lot you know like I like need a nap every day I'm like a baby and like if I don't have the nap I'm my brain is shutting down you know I'm like I need to just go away you know and reset and it's like so important and it yeah. needs to be valued like so much more because people are suffering and they're not valuing that rest you know it's like rest is crucial isn't it yeah and I think it's it's it can be a tricky one because it can be seen like rest as this sort of privilege um um rather than actually a basic right and necessity um and I say this as like you know a new mom to twin babies so <laughs> I understand that it can be extremely difficult to get rest but even still just the importance um and it becomes even more important I suppose of how I show up in in the home and with my kids 
how vital it is to even take the micro moments. So in the book, there are these practices and strategies to even how do you kind of take that time to to ground, to connect, to reset. And it can, for me, my, what that might look like now is even just to bring my awareness to my breath for a moment <laughs> and allow myself just even for three breaths to feel uh, my body and feel the breath move through it. I just, uh, and that might, that might be just it actually. Or if I can't get away for a surf or a swim, what it would be like to, and I'm lucky I have it on my doorstep to even just put my feet in the water or, uh, even go there in my mind's eye and through it with a short visualization or you know there's so there are it's definitely not to be neglected and I think it's writing the book too there was this kind of urgency with uh, this state that everything is in really and of, of the world itself and especially mm-hmm. of our, our, our watery places um, and that urgency to, to want to act to fix it to find solutions to do something and it can be so overwhelming and I actually think what's called for is in those moments actually the importance of more stillness to that we're losing that ability to kind of self-connect to reflect to actually take a pause before we leap into the next thing because I think the reason part of the reason why we're in the mess we're in is perhaps because we've just been on this kind of um treadmill or hamster wheel going round and round and round and why it's really difficult to apply any kind of new insights ideas or solutions because we're in this really in this rut and mental rut uh, I think the powers of be are quite happy that we, if we stay there so that's why you know things like taking time out or stillness or aloneness or solitude all those kinds of things which actually really um, lead to a lot of then creative insight and and then total like maybe per- perspective shift and for healing for the chance even for the body to heal um which are all really important when we're looking at healing the system as a whole if we're looking at ourselves as part of it and i realized wow a lot of this work um you know really good work people are doing that's that's the missing piece and i'm seeing so many people burn out who are doing great work like campaigners and activists um on the front lines and um and it's because we're still embodying, if you know what I mean, that kind of uh, the system that's creating the mess, which is that don't turn yourself off. Keep going. Keep grasping, grasping, do more, um, take more. <laughs> and it's yeah. definitely it's definitely in those quiet moments or those restful moments that that inspiration can actually come through as a solution. You know, like people who get these creative ideas or. When you have new ideas come through, they're coming from a place of kind of, well, what I feel is like nature is giving the solution. Yeah. It's like, I need you to do this. Can you do this? It's like, <laughs> come and do it. <laughs> you know? um, well, you're, you're just able to feel again, like to feel how it is you want to feel even or to yeah. feel um, your body in, uh, in a more even animal way. Like, a, yeah a lot of the time then we just get too caught up in our heads as well and that causes all kinds of problems um and it's one of the reasons why I think I worked in academia and in universities and academic and research institutes for a long time um and it was just my contract was coming to an end anyways it was the the year that the the COVID outbreak um began 
but I remember I was just kind of surviving that last year of really this had this image of feeling like I was this this dis like totally disembodied like I was just this head with a brain kind of detached from my body moving around doing the tasks it was supposed to do <laughs> but uh, not at all yeah and I felt like there was just more and more pressure on um on me to perform like that to like to operate almost like a machine um even though I was in the field of like looking at nature connection and health and well-being and public health. Um, so that for me was a real indicator. Okay. I need to um, jump ship here, change gears. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very important to be embodied. And then what we're preaching as well. Yeah. Yeah. Is this Speak real? Is this example, you know? mm-hmm. um, and how would you say surf has helped you? Yeah, great question. I mean, that so to really kind of go deep on that, definitely check out salt water in the blood. <laughs> yes. Was, yes. Uh, it. <laughs> it's so in so many ways. I mean, I look at it now, my relation. I think what's interesting as well, surfing has been my medium to have this really positive relationship with something like the ocean that's been lifelong. And then with surfing as well, it definitely has those kind of addictive qualities. So it's this thing you can't not do, right? Yeah. If this thing is a surfer out there, I'm sure can relate. And then I see that also with like the cold, cold water swimmers too, in many ways. They're like well. one more wave, just like one more wave, just like one more. <laughs> you, you need that daily dip, that daily immersion. And then you have to, yeah. And then the torture though with surfing is that the waves aren't always there and so we kind of struggle go through these like dark spells <laughs> where our mood goes real low in the waves it's funny um but yeah then with sir how it's always changing though it's really dynamic my relationship with it I mean uh, I, I can't imagine my life ever not surfing but then I look back now and I'm able to see oh it, it's was able to feed these different things for me at different times in my life, which I think is kind of cool to look at now. In my childhood, it was so important to have that kind of combination of play that was total free play, as they call it now, (laughs) the importance of giving kids free play, uh, which is just like play, that's a great side of play. Um, So when you're in the ocean, you're on your own. So that autonomy as well from a really young age was really actually important to learn of that capacity to be able to go out and, you know, obviously have a have a safe space with I'm sure my main parents were <laughs> watching me a lot more closely than I realized. But as a kid growing up, I just remember it being this real sense of like freedom to go out and do my thing and be in the ocean, which is an environment I could never control and get tossed around and have things like totally not go my way. Um, but that all be really good for me. <laughs> Um, but yeah so that play and autonomy in childhood and then in my teenage years it was that real sense of just that passion and focus of having a purpose of like being pulled and drawn to something like the ocean and that fulfilling so many of my needs I think young people maybe seek um, in so many other places or feel reason why maybe they feel lost when you're going through that real transformative phase because being in the ocean just really has that way of connecting you with your own sense of self in a really authentic way I think um and then in my 20s it was full like adventure mode of like going out and exploring the world and surfing was my vehicle for that um and then also about limits and fear and boundaries um which is a great time to explore all of that too 
Um, I'm only seeing all of this now because I can look back as a as a pattern now that I'm a bit older. <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, that's what that was. And so then with, for me, that it took the form of big wave surfing, which was pretty extreme. So I don't think you have to go that extreme. Uh, <laughs> but around, you know, fear, risk taking boundaries, but that whole sense of self-discovery in a way, in many ways. And then it shifted much more into this sort of more... Um, looking at in a more kind of collective cultural context of surfing as this medium to create connection through shared experiences um, across like various divides or divisions um, and seeing also the ocean's power to heal, like not only personally for myself in my own life, but seeing actually how this could be something um, that could be used in a like a therapeutic way as a healing modality for so many people and then that kind of brought me into the, the research world of blue health as it's called now um looking at that there's restorative or therapeutic quality of water and and then ironically then becoming a new mom that's totally what surfing is for me now is <laughs> my own like my space to go and like restore myself <laughs> Um, and then my my motivation is purely just to feel that kind of pleasure and joy. And there's no expectation or performance aspect to it anymore. Um, I just basically take whatever I can get yeah. <laughs> in the little windows of time I have. Yeah. And was the big wave surfing, was that competition or where did you do it? No, funny, it was a transition out of com- competitive surfing. So I was competing from the age of 12 when I was like first joined the Irish surf team, which was wild all the way through to my kind of mid mid to late 20s, I suppose. Um, and then I competed semi-professionally. But for me, I think the competitive doing a contest was a way, I guess, to m- meet like-minded people. It also gave me a real focus and drive, you know, something to kind of, uh, go after or or aim at um which is probably helpful in those earlier years um, and then also to travel and and but I don't I don't think I ever I'm not sure how much I ever really enjoyed I was kind of always a, a little bit at odds I suppose with the competitive bringing that competitive mindset and energy into space like the ocean that was also so many other things for me um yeah and then the big wave surfing was this actually um initially it was like when I I guess I first got into that in 2007 and when they first started surfing aliens at the cliffs of Mohar they were starting to do toe surfing at Mullock Moor so really early vanguard kind of days um we didn't know what we were doing or getting into um yeah and so that was just really fun to be part of something I suppose it was just this unexplored kind of territory um it was a way to really kind of uh, I guess I don't know what the whole motivation was there, but I guess it was this sense of, especially at that your your identity of forming years, sort of through your twenties in particular, I think, and as a young woman, it was this stripping away of any or all of those stereotypes or expectations or how you're supposed to be or how you should be, and because when you put yourself in a situation or environment like that where you're you know twenty to thirty foot. Uh, ocean swells coming in and <laughs> you're going out there to position yourself to meet one of these waves to to try to catch and ride like it's bonkers um but it, it's there isn't any space then for any of these other uh, that, that baggage or all those judgments or so it was just this real powerful kind of 
mirroring of the self um, and of the good, the bad, the ugly. So at times it was a real challenge because I'd all of my kind of inner demons would show up and your mind is just freaking out and you're like, no, you can't do it, you can't do that. And you just hit so many mental blocks. <laughs> um, and then you're working through that because, yeah, it's, it's just this funny meeting of this desire, like this weird pull. Um, and then the adrenaline rush and then this like fear, like being terrified um, all rolled <laughs> into one. Um, yeah. And so when you move through that, like it's it's kind of a mad experience when you come come through all of all of that. Um, and when things all line up and, and you do get one of those waves, um, it's kind of indescribable, I suppose. There's, of course, the buzz and the high and the rush. But for me, it was like it is really pivotal moment also because I think the timing in my life um and maybe that that was it <laughs> and then it had its time and then and then it served its purpose maybe for me I know that there's other like for other people there once they once they get into big wave surfing it seems to be all consuming um but and it is I mean I think in order to succeed now where it's gone it's gone from being this sort of initially we just kind of got into because we were trying to find waves that weren't so crowded because surfing was getting really popular and um and those waves happened to be I guess those <laughs> the ones no one wanted like those really big ones that we didn't know you could actually surf um um and then now it's become this you know there's like there's a whole big wave world tour and there's all these events and everything is documented and captured and live streamed and so we were just right on the edge of before it all exploded I suppose and in a way I'm very grateful <laughs> I don't know if, what it would be like now it'd be a different experience I think to be I think I've had moments where we did do a big wave contest at Mullet Moor um one time it was more to showcase that we weren't all mad idiots and we were actually trained in water safety skills and the jet ski was a really important kind of life-saving craft. So we weren't a bunch of yahoos um, <laughs> in order to get the council on board with bylaws that were going to, you know, ban us from being out there, whatever at the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and putting, mixing those two together for me just never blended well though, like com competition and big waves. It, it just yeah it was just too personal an experience for me to um to try to go out there with some other with an agenda it just never served me well um and now it's interesting yeah to see how it's just become this whole other animal and people and are like making full-blown careers out of it <laughs> yeah amazing and like during that time where your family like, yeah, go for it, go do it. Oh, my parents, now that I've become a mum as well. I'm like, oh my God, what did I put my parents through in my lifetime? Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, so my dad kind of, he's, you know, mad surfing, but he always used the excuse on, on big swells that he was going to go and just like find some little, you know, wrap around and and uh, a new wave unexplored in some hidden bay or whatever um so he I just think he couldn't probably bring himself to go out to Mullockmore Head and look <laughs> and then my mum would always be there kind of holding space for me on land uh watching god bless her it must have been terrifying um and so she'd often video it or take photos so she was like she said that kind of having the lens to look through was like some a, something for her to do so she felt like she was participating but also then like kind of to keep um to almost act as a bit of a <laughs> barrier or something like um but I kind of imagine mind occupied like, yeah yeah 
That's great. So I actually write about that in salt water in the blood, that connection with my mom on the shore and then me being in the water in those conditions. And, uh, but also the importance of that kind of bond, the, like being the witness to something like that. Um, and then, yeah, as, as a mother and daughter, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. do you feel now like, you know, cause obviously there's a big adrenaline spike with like big waves. Would you feel now, do you still get that like drive for adrenaline or do you feel a bit more like, no, I'm okay. Kind of now. It's mad. Cause I, I still have ambitions or certainly had to, you know, that shifted into, especially the paddle um, arena, which is completely different. I mean, I like the, the toe surfing because again, you can surf waves that are much bigger that you wouldn't be able to paddle into, but it there's, it's a real, there's a real teamwork dynamic to it as well, but it's just a completely different way of riding waves um um and then to sort of paddling you're like you're very much on your own um in so many ways but that that's still I think on my bucket list to go out and like paddle um paddle a good one at Mullock Moor except that it's getting so busy and crowded (laughs) (laughs) and then since becoming a mom like your the psychology or my my psyche like the how my brain is wired is just like physically it took a long time to recover but then I did so I and I but I was kind of prepared for that, but then psychologically I'm like, oh my god, it's like it's, and then I, it's a conversation I think I need to have with other women, and definitely something then it's like the the investigator or researcher in me wants to explore. Okay, like what what's just happened? Because <laughs> I don't think it's so. In short, I don't have that same drive or motivation at all to go chasing after. I don't. Well, I wouldn't have the time to chase after big wave swells anyway. So it's probably just as well that drive isn't there but I just yeah it's gone in me whereas before it was a really ever-present kind of spark of wanting to put myself in those situations um that are heavy or risky or um and now obviously the I, I don't feel that because I'm responsible now for two little ones um I even when I was pregnant and I was still surfing through part of that I realized oh my god it's so different because I'm thinking for my decision-making process involves three uh, yes. all at once now instead of just me <laughs> and I've lived such an independent life where I've only ever had you know traveling solo and everything and haven't done anything about myself for myself so actually it sounds really selfish isn't it so maybe it's a good thing I get it you know I get it I, mean, um, I look yeah, after chickens and yeah. bees and that's that's all I can do for now my desire has changed like it's not a negative I thought oh my god I've lost it initially I thought I'm never you know what if I never get that hunger back but maybe it's a good thing and that and maybe it will come back but for now it's just changed so I thought, oh this is a new phase and it's changed in that I have a, my experience is different so it's not fear-based I'm not like out there feeling I'm lacking confidence or, or I have fear. Um, although it took a while to get confidence in my body back after pregnancy and, and birth. Um, but now it's like I have this, it's actually a really lovely feeling. I like, feel much more in my body sometimes. And in my moments in state of flow on, on some waves are like way more profound than they might have been even before. Just mm-hmm. that sense of ease and connection suppose there's more even feelings of of oneness if we describe flow in that way where it just feels like effortless but really embodied and I think it's because there's no performative part like I just don't actually care (laughs) 
I just am looking for a feeling now on the wave, you know, but I don't care how it looks or what I'm doing or what anyone thinks. <laughs> which You're is very probably freaking. taking the spirit of that wave, you know, some, they all feel. Yeah. yeah. So You're taking on that, that feeling of that wave and how it is and how it forms. So in many ways, it sometimes feels even, it feels even more intimate. Um, um, and then also there's moments of frustration where I'm like I'm, I'm really tired and all the time and my body's super stiff and <laughs> I, I kind of like don't have the same battle power energy or things like that but all in all it's it's yeah, a whole new phase it's fascinating now yeah and I really I'm always intrigued by competition because <laughs> it gets you into like I've done different kind of competitions and rowing and different things oh, and okay. I never really like I tried to go back then and say, oh, I'd like to do it kind of now just for pleasure or like, you know, other things as well, other sports. And like, I definitely have come that route as well of like, I don't really want to compete. Like there's so much ego in it that the joy is gone. You're so focused on like winning that like all those little moments of presence and joy mm. aren't as easy to get. Um, and um Another thing I was going to say was actually about giving birth. I was reading a book about that of like when a woman actually gives birth, her chemistry completely changes like so that she's built now for in like a new survival aspect um, or that her, her chemistry is more in survival, like she's way more capacity. And like I just so intri- intrigued by that. Um, yeah, it's fascinating, you know, mm-hmm. so you're you're exactly where you're meant to be like with your kids, you know yeah yeah you know as intent like, like, like there's another there's another book in there <laughs> yeah. so I got time to write again <laughs> yeah oh. and and actually the reason I asked about the adrenaline is because I was reading something mm. else about um people who parachute jump and that like when they do so many jumps they get to a point of adrenaline where like they just can't go back to normal life you know because they've oh they, yeah they, because they just keep spiking and their tolerance goes so high yeah. That's yeah. why I think a lot of people into like adrenaline sports, like you kind of you're like jumping into like you go into all different adrenaline sports because you're like trying to mm. fill that, chem- that new chemistry level, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fascinating. I, it makes sense, too, when you see what's happening in big wave surfing now where the bar is raised so high, but it's all about bigger, 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 bigger. <laughs> and, and, like, and the guys that are at the top already are just on these like full quest to try to find something that's even bigger or heavier than the wave before and it's like the wave before no matter how incredible or awe-inspiring it is and what a high that must have been it I always get the sense though it's still not enough Mm. they want they want you obviously want to feel that again right but in order to feel that again you have to chase something even more yeah so you can get yourself I think in a real situation there perhaps <laughs> actually it's giving me memories I was in um I don't know if you've been there in um El Salvador in El Tunco I haven't actually yeah I do like competitions there yeah. but I was there I remember I stayed there for a while and I used to be out with the locals sitting on the beach watching them and I literally used to be like oh my god like it was their life like every day all day and then all the tourists come and they wouldn't leave them on the waves but like they were exceptional like I just was in awe like every day all day like that's what they did and then they were just eating like you know their food like their cool street food at night and I was like god they live so differently you know I was like couldn't believe it but like again it was like this kind of obsession like you know mm-hmm. all yeah. day every day and that was life like there was nothing else that was life you know yeah there is actually 
lot more to like yeah, yeah. surfing I have discovered but it took me a really long time to realize that <laughs> yeah and how big are you know when you're on a big wave like how big do they go big is a big way oh that, that's the million dollar question isn't it well I think they're right they have have they they've ridden a hundred foot wave already um what I'm pretty close to it. I think, yeah, Justine Dupont and Maya Gabera, a couple of years ago, they broke the world records for the biggest wave any human, male or female, I think had ridden in that in that season. That I think this is at Nazare in the 80 foot range. Um, so that's that's where we're at, um, which is mad. Uh, I have a feeling there's been a 98 foot wave recorded. But don't quote me on that. And then we have Conor Maguire here, um, Irish pro big wave surfer. Um like he rode the biggest wave I think ever ridden in Ireland which is at Mullock Moor recorded it at 60 feet um a couple of years ago as well so we were surfing at you know the big waves but anything over 15 foot you know and and we surfed in regularly like 20 to 30 foot um swells but you know and it gets anything over 15 foot then the consequences the stakes completely change and then when you're in the yeah 30 foot range that's that's really big. Um, that's big enough for me. <laughs> well, <it's laughs> certainly was at the time. So I, you can get caught, way too caught up in the metrics as well. Um, yeah, that's, wow. that's amazing. Um, and yeah, just final question. I'm curious to know: Do you spend time in the woods or the forest, or how does that impact you in terms of the ocean? You know, the opposition. Do you find brilliant question and. I mean, I hadn't, and now I'm discovering this. We have, I'm fascinated because I have these, you know, these the two little ones, and we're on, we're by the sea, so we're on, they're on the beach every day, which is amazing. And as soon as they get the sound of the sea and that kind of air, it just puts them to sleep. Thank goodness. Um, but when we're, but then when we go change it up, when we go to the woods, um, it's just their reaction is completely different. They are just as fascinated, if not even more so. But you just can see in them the wonder and the awe they're taking in all this new sensory experience of like the colors and the sounds and the movement of the leaves the patterns that the trees make the textures and they're they're fully checking everything out and like in the minute detail of it and mm. you know putting little, like the little pine cones and pine needles in their mouth and <laughs> touching the trees and the leaves and but it's so so yes the the woods and again um and forests have this other effect on us that's mm-hmm. like the same but different i feel um and especially then for me it's like it's not where i it's not where i feel most i'm most familiar with or i feel most at home at because it's i just didn't grow up as immersed in that kind of environment but um it definitely does something to us as well mm. which is it, and i can see that in in that has to be innate because I can see the Im- impact it has then in the in the two little ones, which is fascinating. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. I find like I find like the sea brings you more into the feminine, and the woods make you more into your masculine. Like it's very grounding, mm. and you know even the bark. Um, I do like workshops with people in the woods, and I was telling them like oh, in the bark yes. we have all these oils that come out. <laughs> that we can inhale that actually mm-hmm. up our immune system and our defense mechanisms and like the trees are giving us these gifts to help us like our oh my goodness system. they're like our greatest ancestors for sure and that the mm-hmm. fact that we were tree people in Ireland I've learned so much recently by reading a book by Diana Beresford Kruger 
you, you must have come across her. It's called To Speak for the Trees. And so she's a botanist and a biochemist, uh, like a remarkable scientist, but also was the last in her line to be taught in, I suppose, those old ways, pagan ways of ancient Ireland, um, actually in in West Cork. And so she does it in the book. She's this wonderful interweave of the science and spirituality of that, um, as well as then really being a trailblazer as a woman in, in the, you know, the 50s and 60s, going to university and training as a scientist. And she lives in Canada now and does remarkable research still with trees, but also then she's found, you know, cures and medicines for cancers and all of that kind mm-hmm. of in the medical world too. But she talks about how, you know, it's particular if we spend time in the woods, something like, uh, I listened to one of her talks recently, 15 minutes in in uh, in say a white pine forest. They're more common, I guess, in Canada. Um, but the trees release just what you're talking about, those aerosols um, that enhance our, our kind of our T cells. So our, our kind of uh, those immune boosting cells in the body, but they're also like cancer killing cells. And so with 15 minutes of walking in the woods, breathing that in, from the trees we actually get that immunity for a month because we have enough of the t-cells in our body against cancer cells mm. which is incredible you know if like, mm. <laughs> which is why we need more forests <laughs> i know and Tree then huggers. Added, added to that i was like i'm writing a book about water what has it got to do about trees and it's got to get everything to do about trees as well so there's really I mean, it talks again to that, the more indigenous worldview of the interconnection of all things and how everything is living. But again, like the science catching up and evidencing how, you know, the looking at the decline of coastal marine ecosystems around the world, but the scientist was looking at, notice, noticing the real decline in, in off the coastline in Japan, where they lost, also lost a, lost a lot of their coastal forests and found that what was happening is the trees were being cleared away. There was a reduction in the leaf litter uh, and the, what the leaf litter does. So when the leaves decay in the fall and they um, bond with different minerals in the soil, especially iron, and and of course the leaf litter is more more acidic but again it gets washed away and gets carried in the streams and then into the coastal waters and then it provides really important nutrients like the building blocks for phytoplankton and then all the the uh, important coastal habitats for sea life uh, and biodiversity depends on the richness of this leaf litter from woodlands and the forests um and then also the forests then the health and growth of the forests and a lot of this old growth forests and they can still detect it in in some of the remaining you know temperate rainforests in the pacific northwest the biggest sort of growth periods happened during um salmon runs when the salmon runs were really rich so what was happening there they recorded this um isot it's called isotope nitrogen 15 i think but basically a type of nitrogen that's only found in the ocean. And then they found, started to find it in the trees in land. Um, so, which kind of made no sense initially, but what happens is during the salmon run, then you've got the bears and then the other animals that will feed on, you know, they'll, the bears will just take some of this, you know, choice bits of the salmon and the caviar and then leave the carcass and then other animals will feed in it and drag it further into the woods mm-hmm. and so on. And so the salmon, gets spread all around the woods basically and the trees absorb the nitrogen this particular nitrogen from the salmon and it causes this big growth spurt in the trees um which is amazing yeah so the ocean is in the trees and the ocean eats the trees yeah (laughs) (laughs) the ocean is in the trees. that way i just love that yeah amazing 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. To even understand it's yeah. Wow. You definitely had fun writing the book. <laughs> oh my god. Which and then of course I had to write a whole chapter on the mystery of so much that I the more I researched, the less I kind of felt I knew. But how our mythology speaks to all of this as well. I think in you in Ireland, I realized as I was researching this, um, it was like, oh, well, that's the salmon of knowledge is basically that story of like what the science, this new science is just evidencing is, mm-hmm. is all there in the story of the salmon of knowledge. When you look at the connection between the hazel trees and the water and the salmon mm-hmm. and the exchange of all that energy, um, that's basically the same thing. <laughs> And anyways, yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll go down too many rabbit holes if I keep going. So maybe we'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So we'll just say to people, go to the ocean and go to the forest every day. <laughs> yeah. And you want to know more, read Ebb and Flow, obviously. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If you want to add in anything like where it's stocked or would you like to add hmm. in anything else? Sure, yeah, I'm always terrible doing that. But it's basically, yeah, it's out now, all good bookshops uh, online from wherever you buy your books and also on Audible if you're more of an audiobook person. And it's called Ebb and Flow, Connect with the Patterns and Power of Water. Thank you so much. And it's a lovely conversation. Thank you. And, oh, I really uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's lovely to hear like your past and stories. It just brings it all back up again, isn't it? That excitement and joy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, so easy to talk with you. It just felt like a real natural conversation. So thanks. Mm. So we're like the water moving together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So folks, thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed, please um share and um patreons thank you so much for supporting if you can support me with my b mission i would so appreciate it on patreon.com slash catch cost it's on